Hello, Dennis. Hello, Jesse. We got another episode today. It's about time. It is about, it's not about time. It is about Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek and Abel and some other thing that Chris was talking about. Yeah. Chris says stuff. He does say stuff. But he says a lot of stuff on this one. And it's actually, even though Chris led it, pretty darn good. Yeah. Melchizedek and other weird names in the Eucharistic prayer. Also, we have registration open for our Young Adult Liturgy Conference. July 12th through 14th. Go to www.btransfigured.com. So without further ado, episode 18 of season three of The Liturgy Guys. T-R-A-N-S-I-F. Darn it. (laughs) Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. From the mundane to the sublime. Pepe, where's the sublime? You? Me. Oh, yes. I well, thought that was a very good band. Um, oh, so we're t- <laughs> I, I think we're talking about something else. All right. When you're under a lime, <laughs> you're sublime. Okay, Chris. Ooh, that, hey, Jesse, I thought that you'd like that. That was really good. Thank you. Right. Actually, that was a dad joke. How do you know if it's a dad joke? I don't know. When the pun is apparent. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Jesse. I can say lame dead. He texted that to me last night. And as I got, soon as I heard somebody say I it. got awfully close to the right answer. All right. Hmm. So you're going to talk about the order of Melchizedek. Uh, yeah. What I thought <clears throat> would be helpful yes. uh, would be to... Oh, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. This is our second Laetare podcast. Maybe yes. last week could be Gaudete and this one could be Laetare, yeah. right? Why, why is it that? Because we've been talking about Sagra Sana Concilium for 47 paragraphs. Uh, 47 paragraphs. weeks. Well, not that many weeks, but so now we have two weeks of no Sagra Sana Concilium. Mm-hmm. I love it. I can't wait to get yeah. back. Jesse's yeah. I wonder if anybody still listens to this podcast. They do. <laughs> Jesse's wearing a rose uh, polo shirt and a rose jacket and rose pants and rose socks. I don't, mm-hmm. know, don't know about us. I rose I, to the occasion. I think they're pink. I think he probably has his BVDs that he washed together with his red shirt, so they're probably <laughs> rose too. <laughs> what? So, let's go. Chris, I can't we've use got that as a stuff lead to in? talk Yes, yeah. you can. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure the... Anyway, go ahead. All right. So, you, you want to go old, old Testament on us, huh? Uh, yeah. Okay, we'll go. Yeah. What are yeah. you waiting for? Let's yeah. go. Come on. Come okay. On, come on. That's one of my two favorite testaments. <laughs> <laughs> In the uh, first Eucharistic prayer. The Roman canon. The, the Roman canon. As they say. The Roman canon. Okay. There is uh, a prayer that uh, is prayed uh, after the consecration of the elements. And the priest uh, says this. He says... Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance. Who's he talking to? God the Father. God the Father. God the Father. And to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the Just, the sacrifice of Abraham, our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. okay. Are we talking yeah. about this? Because I hear this a lot, and I don't know what it means. Well, you so will. You, you came to the right will. place. Oh man! This Although is great. you are ahead of the game, because I think there are many people who don't hear this uh, uh, a lot, because the the first Eucharistic prayer takes an extra three and a half minutes. It's uh, not uh, universally heard. Leads to chaos in the parking lot. Yeah. Wait, is this a thing? Really? Yeah. People don't yeah. use it because it's too long and too what? traditional. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. was just like one sentence. Yeah, but there's a lot more than oh, that. Oh, the Roman canon's long. Eucharistic oh, prayer too is short. One. People like that one. Yeah. Oh, is this the one where you say like everything in the world? It's not to be used on Sunday. Oh. It says that explicitly in the general instruction of the Roman Missal. The What's second the second Eucharistic because it would prayer be too long, then? is not to be, is meant for weekdays and not, not on oh, Sundays. That, that is said specifically that you're not yeah. supposed to use Eucharistic prayer yeah. too on Sunday? Yeah. Wow. Maybe somebody will uh, send in a, a liturgy guys question about that and we can answer it in the... Uh, Jesse, hurry up. Send us a yeah. question. Okay. Back okay. to Melchizedek and anyway. company. Yeah. But uh, what uh, Jesse said is exactly where we're going with this is, well, who are, these, who are these people and why are they in our Roman canon? And what should they be saying to each of us when we hear these names? Well, let's talk about Abel. Let's uh, begin at the just beginning. Abel. Yes. Uh, so, okay. Why is Abel just? Um, because, um, because he was killed by his brother Cain. That's and, not why he was just. Oh. Is it, are we talking about the same Abel? Yes, okay. we are. Yes, we I are. I just want to make sure okay. I got the Paint right Abel. a little picture. He here. offered the sacrifice that was more pleasing to God, right? Between. Right. Between okay. So, uh, Cain and Abel are brothers and they, uh, were going to offer sacrifices to God. Do you know what uh, they offered? I do uh, not. I didn't. Cain offered. Well, you guys one really of the don't. One know of the men offered <laughs> animals, and one of them offered grain. Right, and one of them was considered less. Right, acceptable. right. Okay, which offered what? The one, the better one was the animal. Right, that's correct. Yes. So Abel offered the firstlings, uh, something, one of the firstlings from the flock, and the fatty portions of the sacrifice. So I guess that means the fatty good parts. Fat. Yeah, the good parts. Okay, so the, he took from the flock. Uh, the, a choicest of lambs and the choicest part from the choicest lambs and offer those to God. Uh, Cain off, uh, offered, he offered some, uh, Cain meats, right? offered, uh, grain. yeah, uh, grain or something from the field, the field. Now, uh, God looked with favor on Abel's sacrifice, but not, uh, on Cain's. And, and I don't know all the ins and outs of this, uh, but it, it appears that some suggest that, well, it was just, there's no reason. He just picked that one and not the other one, that there was really nothing inherent uh, in either of the offerings or the way it was offered that made God choose Abel's over Cain's. God was just untrustworthy and You just picked one, you know? Yeah. I don't buy that. I, I, I also don't, don't really buy that. don't either, but Sounds they like probably terrible. had their reasons. Anyway. Yet another reason not to be a vegetarian. <laughs> No, the uh, vegetarian would offer the animals so they won't have to eat them. Anyway, Ooh. anyways. Uh, yeah. Anyway, back to anyway, you, Anyway, so he did offer uh, uh, Abel's. Now, uh, why do you think he would, if you could speculate, you're not biblical scholars, but why would God have accepted Abel's sacrifice rather than Cain's? I know I've read this somewhere, but I can't remember. Eh, just, Is it because it's more, uh, it's more of a sacrifice to offer an animal than, a, I, than wheat? I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe this has something to do with it. Abel is called what, Jesse? Abel the just. Okay, and what is justice? Um, Giving right, something that is right is and fair. Giving to another what is due. 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 Uh, 
Um, actually, we talked about this in class today, too. We were talking about the virtue of religion as being, uh, just a little sidetrack, which is, uh, I think, interesting, is called annexed to justice, and mm. that's how St. Thomas says, because giving to justice, or justice is giving to another what is due, but in religion, you cannot give to God what is due. It's impossible. Okay, so it's, always, it's kind of a defective form of justice because you can never, in fact, give to God what is due to him. But who gives God to God? God. Yes, there's only, yes, there's only one person who can give God what is justly his. God. Yes, Jesus, yeah. 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 Who is also human. But anyway, go God. back to Abel. So he's uh, you know, doing this. He's called the just because he's giving to God what? The, the best. The best. The best. Right. Not stingy. Right, and so that is, uh, at least in the many, many uh, commentaries I've read on this, just kidding, uh, is, is what they seem to suggest, that Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it represented his best, and that perhaps the sacrifice offered from Cain did not represent uh, the best. Mm-hmm. Okay? That was in that commentary I started once. <laughs> okay. Now, so, Jesse, the next time you go to Mass and you hear uh, the priest pray that God look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance, the offering is uh, the body of Jesus, but also... But the offering of us. Of you, right? We want to offer the best parts. Just like Abel, you want to let Abel be your model and give to God the very best that you have to What are the best parts of you, Jesse? Well, my eyes. The fattiest parts. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, I will give him my fatty portion. (laughs) He just won't take them. (laughs) Ancient liposuction. But here, what else do you, how did, uh, how did Abel end? Uh, Dead. Yes, yeah. at the hand of his brother. <laughs> yeah, that's so, what we all had. But this, but, but this is interesting, right? Murdered. So Abel offers a lamb and is himself whoosh, offered, right? Oh. So in some ways, he becomes a prefigurement or foreshadowing. And then of, Cain was on the lamb. Oh, oh <laughs> so he becomes a type in a certain way of Christ, I who like is it. the lamb and offers his very best. I like it. Okay. Let's go to uh, the next one. Uh, the sacrifice of Abraham, our father in faith. Oh, we know this one. <laughs> oh, yeah? What did he do? Well, he almost sacrificed his son Isaac. Why did he do that? Because God told him to. Voluntarism. You're exactly right. Okay. <laughs> now, Abraham in this, uh, Ab- Abel was called the just. Abraham is called what? The merciful. The fa- no, he's called the father in faith. <laughs> oh, just said it, Jesse. Okay. Now, here's a, uh, we've mentioned Bishop Barron here before, haven't we? Yes, many times. He has, uh, uh, and he mentions this? us in his little commercial every time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he mentions I know us. That. He's like, I knew everybody who ever did anything, who ever breathed at the Liturgical Institute. So I know what goes on there. That's what he says. He, uh, I thought, I hope I'm doing justice to this, but he had this great analogy of what faith is, right? So, um, you, somebody tells you something about himself. He, I think he made the, the example of uh, you know, the, the, the young suitor who's uh, trying to, to meet this girl, right? And you can find out all sorts of information about her from her friends, from... Uh, her Facebook profile. Face, exactly, exactly. But if the relationship goes well, she eventually is going to tell you things that are not verifiable by Google searches or anything like that. She's I doubt that, tell but you, continue. <laughs> she's going to reveal secrets of her heart that you have to either accept or reject 
on faith. Mm. Okay. He, uh, if I remember this right, this is kind of the analogy with faith because God reveals the secrets of his heart to you to either accept or reject. If you listen to what he says and accept them, this response is called faith. So in the catechism, uh, at some point, it talks about Abraham uh, and also Mary as being uh, models of obedience in faith, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, God tells to Abraham, pick up and move. Okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Uh, yeah, okay. Your age. his wife is ancient. Yep. Right? He just said, all Abraham does is say, yes, 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 yes. He just, he listens and obeys. He listens and that's obeys. It's like you with Marguerite. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So that's why uh, I think he's called the uh, father in faith because his response to God, like you said, Jesse, is, well, why did he offer his son? Because God told him to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. He, uh, he, he says, yes, I'll do that. Everything God tells him to do, he does. There's okay. a lot of that in the Old Testament, isn't there? Prophets have to do odd things. Well, there's also a lot of disobedience. Yeah, there's also a lot Mary, of disobedience. Mary prostitutes and you know, all precisely. Kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Abraham is a model of obedience. Faith. So what, tell what do you what do you remember about his sacrifice? Well, he was just about ready to. Uh, Kill his son, and then the yeah, angel back came up and a little bit. Oh, back up a little. They had to go up to Moriah. They had to get the. Fire do you remember how they? Do you remember how they got there? They had to, to go Mount up Moriah? a. They had to go up a mountain right? before Walk. they got to the mountain. Do you remember how they got to the mountain? I do not actually. Uh, Uber. Uh, no, no, a donkey. Oh. Right? So I well actually only Isaac. Uh, I think is how the reading is. This is this is oh, read like at uh, the Paschal came, Vigil. Yeah. yeah so in Mount Moriah, traditionally, right, Dennis is. Uh, is the Temple Mount? Would you call? So they okay. had to take this bundle of wood that would call the, be like Mariah Carey, oh, the wood up. Man. That is Scott Hahn's joke in his book. Is oh. it? Ter- yeah. Oh man, I am as funny as Scott Hahn. That, that I don't know. You want to say that out loud? Too I am funnier than Scott Hahn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sorry, Doctor. The son rides on a donkey to the base of the mountain. At which point, the father places the wood of his execution upon his shoulders Says, and you he walks. Us. Yeah, and so he has to carry it up. And uh, the son says, Father, here's the, here's the, we have everything, but we don't have the sacrifice. And he says, God <laughs> yes, himself <we> <laughs> will provide. I don't know if this is, uh, this bears out in the original languages, but somebody suggested, it, one way to read that is, God will provide himself mm. as the sacrifice. Right? So he gets up to the top, and uh, right, just before his uh, hand is uh, uh, to, to slay his son out of obedience to the father, uh, another lamb shows up. A, a, ram, a ram with its horns caught, caught in, in the, the thicket, in the, the crown thicket. of thorns. That's right. Yeah. This, or, I just came across this again in uh, Spirit of the Liturgy by, uh, not Dennis, but uh, <laughs> Colonel Ratzinger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, have you ever seen the, uh, I think this is what he's trying to say. Have you ever seen the constellation Aries? Do you know what it looks like? I do not. It's the ram. Well, it is, but it doesn't look like a ram. It's kind of like a harp shape, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to hard to tell. But you know, the, the Big Dipper looks like a pot, and Orion looks like a guy with a belt and a sword. Mm-hmm. But the Aries looks nothing like a ram. It looks like kind of a Y. And I think what uh, Cardinal Ratzinger is saying is this: it 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 evokes like the 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 crook of a tree. Oh, which, maybe it's the, exactly yeah, the crook like a of a tree, oh. which is uh, holding the lamb, right? Yeah, it looks so, like a V with curves. Well, well like the, that, the front. No, no, of no, no the, that, that's the that's not the actual shape the stars make. That's kind of the 
civilized oh, I see. version. Yeah, you're actually right. It's kind of a straight line with legs. Yeah, you think what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do they get ram out of How that? How do they get ram out? I of don't that? know. Anyway, but the point he's going to make is even the stars are are saying lamb, lamb, lamb. You know, as as all isn't of this it like is Jupiter happening. moves through Aries or something, and the, the king moves into yeah, through the sacrifice, and that's the star that. the wise men follow or something yeah. like that. I remember yeah. that. Okay, but Jesse, the next time you go to Mass and you hear the Roman canon and you hear about the sacrifice of Abraham, the father in faith, what should that uh, call to mind? It should mean that uh, I should be very faithful and obedient to the secrets that God tells me. (laughs) And that God will provide the sacrifice. That's right. So you hear that you're going to offer your best in faithful obedience to what God has asked you to do. Now, Now, you know, Isaac isn't just like, his son, right? Nobody wants to sacrifice their son. But Are you he talking was the, about me? No, Isaac is the long-awaited <laughs> son, right? Oh, you have a son. Yeah, I do, yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, they're old, right? What is, Sarah's like 90 or something, and they don't know if they're ever going to have a kid, and they're yeah. waiting, 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 and they finally have a kid, and then said, God says, oh, by the way, go well, kill him. This it's is like the Messiah being waited for for yeah. generations. Hmm. The, the, uh, still, another angle is that if they are very old, and how, so what... That makes Isaac much younger, as sons often are, than their father. So, I mean, how is Isaac taking this? Imagine he's got, I don't know how old Abraham was. He's got to be old enough to carry the wood up the mountain. Yeah, so Isaac uh, uh, is kind of a willing agent in all of this. Right, this old man is not going to hold him down. Sacrifice. He has to. And in fact, sometimes it's called not the sacrifice of Abraham, but the sacrifice of Isaac, because Isaac is the one being offered, and willingly so. That he just, just like Abraham, so too Isaac is offering himself uh, in obedience. Does Abraham be like, "Don't worry, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you"? <laughs> well, that brings us to our third. That, well, to Isaac our third even point, know, right? Our Who's third the point. sacrifice? Yeah. Okay. The uh, hold, hold the, the third one. This is uh, about Melchizedek, and the, I'll get to this. Who uh, apparently this point, is a, a priest forever? I don't yeah. know. So that's from Psalm Dennis. Which Psalm is that? That numbered one. One of them, yeah. Uh, and the offering of your high priest, Melchizedek. Okay. So what do you know about Melchizedek? We don't know a lot about Melchizedek, do we? He shows up and he's mentioned and then they don't say too much about him. I listened to a big CD thing. Scott Hahn talked about Melchizedek and who he was mm-hmm. and where he thought he came from and so on. Uh, yeah, and actually, in the order of events, uh, the Melchizedek showing up happens before the sacrifice of uh, Isaac, when Abraham is still, I think, named uh, Abram at that point. But the letter to the Hebrews mentions uh, some interesting facts about Melchizedek. Do you know what they are? I have no idea. That he has no mother or father, no oh, ancestry. Right. He came from nowhere without beginning of days or end of days, meant to resemble the Son of Man in all things. Right, so this Melchizedek, where did he come from? Nowhere. Outer Nowhere. space. Where yeah, is he so going? Nowhere. <laughs> okay, so in that way, he's very much a prefigurement of Christ. Mm, kind uh, of like he's, an Adam figure, wouldn't he be? Like a new Adam. An Adam and Abel, like, so, like a Moses, so many of these. Mm. Uh, uh, he's a king, Jesus is king, of, uh, is it Salem? Is that what it says? How can the, he be a king yep. if he doesn't even have like a dad to like... <laughs> Past the lineage, okay, uh, and he's from. He's a king of peace. I think isn't that what uh, Yerushalayim? Yes, what means. Okay, so he's from Jerusalem. He's a king. Of, he's a priest. He's a king of peace. That's king of righteousness. King is what of his righteousness name actually means. Yeah. Okay, all right, uh, but also in this letter to the Hebrews, when it's speaking about the uh, sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac, it says somewhere in there that 
Abraham reckoned that God had the power to raise his son from the dead. So that in the letter of the Hebrews, it says that Abraham was willing to sacrifice him because he, he knew that God could even raise him from the dead if he wanted mm-hmm. to. Oh, Isn't that wonderful? Well, that's kind of cheating then. If you know, it's not, if you know he's not going to be dead forever. <laughs> well, God promised you he would raise you from the dead, Jesse. That's true. You ready that's to true. lay it down? Uh, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. All the time. Yeah. Okay, what else did uh, Melchizedek do? He offered bread and wine. He offered bread and wine. Okay, and so um, in some ways, uh, I don't remember. I just throw this on to one of the fathers I read once upon a time. Is a couple things are going on there. Is one that this sacrifice of Melchizedek is predating the sacrifices of the Levites, so it's much older. Right, and some people argue that the Levitical priesthood is actually, in a certain way, kind of a discipline or a punishment because they worship the golden calf, and then they have to go destroy calves for a long, long, long time. They have to destroy the thing they're tempted to worship, whereas Melchizedek didn't have that problem, so he could offer what the original sacrifice, the good, acceptable sacrifice was, which is bread and wine. Yeah, no, I read in the, you've seen that uh, Ted Shree, Curtis Martin book called The Real Story. Yeah. It's really fantastic. Uh, It talks about, so originally, I mean, who offered the sacrifices in Egypt at that first Passover? There was no Levitical priesthood yet. Oh, okay. It, it was out of order here. It, no, 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 you know, you're good. It was, it was the fathers of families, right? But after this golden calf business, okay, God makes a switch. He says, all right, you fathers and sons, you have uh, forfeited your right to be the priests. I am going to institute a tribe of Levi to take your place. And in one of these footnotes of uh, this very good uh, book, it says there were like 238 more uh, Levites than there were fathers and sons. So Moses paid the difference. So it was an absolute even trade. And so fathers and sons couldn't be saying that we were cheated way back at, the, uh, at, at Mount Horeb. But who is not a Levite in Scripture? What very important central priestly figure is not a Levite? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, right? So he doesn't have to offer the Levite offerings. What offering does he offer? The bread and wine offerings all the way back to Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Yeah. Uh, Another interpretation is is that while Jesus offers his body, the bread and wine are not carnal like in animal sacrifices, but represent a more spiritual sacrifice that is not localized with a particular tribe and not localized in a particular place, but is to take place everywhere and at all times. So when you hear about uh, Melchizedek next time, all right, we think about how he came and offered bread and wine uh, to represent a universal sacrifice that then all of us can take part in and join it to the sacrifice of Jesus at the hands of uh, the priest as well, uh, and that he's a figure of, uh, uh, of even Christ. So anyway, so there's three Old Testament figures that if you know a little bit, and trust me, I, own, I know just a little bit, if, but if you know that much uh, about them, can start to make what we're doing at the Mass t- uh, a little bit more significant and meaningful. Right, and if the bread and wine seems kind of, you know, quiet and dainty compared to slitting the throat of a bull, mm-hmm. well, slitting the throat of the bull was not the goal, right? That was in some way the necessary detour to get back to the true King of Righteousness, Christ, who would offer bread and wine from the Father, like the father of the family, instead of this punishment of a sacrificial offering. So there it is, Jesse. All right. You, better be, you and Isaac better be uh, paying attention at Mass next week. Have you noticed we've had readings from Hebrews the last couple of weeks or the last couple of days, and you know what he always says? It's written somewhere, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Several times that. he says, it's written somewhere. So you said something like this, somewhere in the catechism, some number. So 
You're right up there with St. Paul and forgetting stuff. But really, yeah. who cares about the number? Yeah. It's the concept that matters. So. Oh, I don't know. Do they they ascribe Hebrews to St. Paul anymore? I don't think that's... Well, there's argument about whether it's yeah. Paul or not. I heard yeah. Scott Hahn talking about that, that Paul could have used a Hebrew scribe to make his ideas more accessible mm. to the Jews. And so just because it's not typically his language, he might have used somebody. But there's a bunch of arguments either way. But they don't say it in the, in the lecture anymore. It doesn't say a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Hebrews. It just says a letter to the Hebrews. Oi! Bonus. Question time? Question. Yep. Time. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute and we love everything that we do here. But you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it? Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder. Uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning, I've known. We've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I, I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the LI. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Chris, you are a blessing to me. Take, Jesse, that, take that back. Uh-huh. Oh, come on, Chris. All right, this question, uh, if you haven't uh, picked up on it, has to do with blessings. It's uh, from Marie in Australia. Hey, mate. Hey. All right. Oh, my gosh. Marie says... <laughs> <laughs> Foster's, it's Australian yeah, for beer. Yeah, we're terrible at we all We are so ignorant about it. Don't Australia. say you're from Australia if you don't want well, us I to I want to know is, how come they don't fall off the planet on the south side oh, of the oh, south yeah. southern hemisphere? Um, all right, Marie from Australia says, hi there. Hi there. With an Australian accent. <laughs> I will not read this Australian accent. Recently, we were told as EMHCs to give a blessing to anyone who approaches with crossed arms to signify not receiving communion. Is this okay? Sounds wrong to me as I thought only God blesses, and yet we say, blessed be God in the divine praises. Confused! Exclamation point. EMHCs. If you think you're confused now, wait till we're done with answering Ooh, this question. we're going to be Confucius. EMHCs are extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's, a first, that's a good entry. That's yes. new speak. So thumbs up on that one for not saying Eucharistic minister, right? Because properly speaking, we're talking about extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. So mm -hmm. And what would you think the job description of an EMHC would be? To Assist. only when extraordinarily necessary distribute. to distribute. Holy Communion. Yeah. yeah, and so that's kind of an insight, too, is that's why they're not called Eucharistic ministers, because there's other Eucharistic things that could be done, exposition or some such. Like, it, the, the person's job is only to distribute Holy Communion. And also extraordinary. But, yeah, when, when ordinary ministers, bishops, priests, or deacons are not bishops. available, uh, then the... Uh, uh, baptized can perform this extraordinary function. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple other things there. I thought only God blessed. This is true, but God acts in the world through sacramental signs, one of which are his ministers. So God works in the world through bishops, priests, and deacons, and even those uh, lay person and parents. Yeah, I give my daughter persons. a blessing. Yep, yeah, yep. And you're, you're that's that's 
exactly in keeping with your office. See, this is part of the, if you're to read um, the introduction to the Book of Blessings, it outlines a little theology of blessing and the ministers of blessing, that the bishop blesses on a diocesan level, a priest blesses on the parish level, uh, a parent blesses on the domestic level. It's a part of the job description. Hashtag stay in your lane, stay right? Stay in your lane. But when a layperson steps into an extraordinary role, the, uh, the lines and the job descriptions are getting mm. uh, a little bit crossed and potentially blurred. And I suppose in, in applying the theology then from the Book of Blessings, it's, uh, it does not foresee the layperson giving blessings in that circumstance, mm-hmm. even if... Potentially on other occasions, a layperson can lead, say, certain rites uh, from the Book of Blessings where he or she might give a blessing. The one that before receiving communion is not, um, yeah, it's just not foreseen in uh, any of the, the books that a layperson, or for that matter, well, yeah, that's what a was, priest would either. Do, yeah. Does, should a priest even do a blessing at yeah, that? Yeah, this, this is another question. Because priests can give blessings, right? That's what they do as images of Christ. Yeah, uh, they can, but should he give a blessing in that circumstance? Yeah. So, And again, I think that that's a, a question still being debated. Uh, I've but always I heard that it's redundant because you get the blessing at the end of the Mass anyway. Uh, well, I mean, that's true, the, the, but the priest blesses the deacon before he proclaims the gospel, and, well, he's going to get a blessing, too, at the end of Mass. Uh, but, I mean, that's, that, uh, I think, is one of, the, one of the angles to help understand what's, what's going on, is that the priest does, in fact, bless everybody right after uh, communion. And part of the social pressure is people don't want to be left in the pew alone, look like they're in a state of mortal sin, or if you have a visitor who wants to come up and feel like they're participating in the, in the communion procession, that they get, get something, quote-unquote. Yeah, yeah, it's a more difficult question to answer about should priests or deacons be giving blessings in the communion line. Uh, in the extraordinary form of the Mass, I can't remember the formula, but the, the priest, in fact, makes... A blessing with with the host before right. receiving communion. Right. Um, so there, there's a it's much more complex as far as I can tell. But it, but a but a lay person giving a blessing, I, I think, is pretty easy. That uh, at least not knowing the particular legislation in Australia or in that diocese, at least the universal legislation, as far as I know, it doesn't foresee a lay person doing that. Is it okay if I try to scatter right away before a lay extraordinary minister of Holy Communion tries to bless my child? You're going to have to email that okay. question <laughs> in, uh, later. All right, like Marie. You asked, you asked Lars to hold the wheel while you open a beer in the car, but you're not going to let him drive the car on normal time. He would right? be so. an Wait, extraordinary what? bartender. <laughs> <laughs> this All is right. how they do things in Soldier's Grove. <laughs> they don't believe in seatbelts. Marie, I'm sorry for the tangent at the end. But uh, anyway, thank you for your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Uh, or you can tweet Chris if you can find his Twitter handle, which doesn't exist. Thank you and God bless. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.